pastor, make sure you try to get connected. Get plugged in somewhere. There's a couple groups there. There's not many. So get plugged in, rather. If it's a Bible study, a women's group, um, one of our women's groups is even a workout. So you want to kill two birds with one stone? Man, what better way? Receive the word of God and then exercise. Um, and we have Celebrate Recovery, Youth Ministry, all these good things. When you leave today, Abby in the back, she's going to go on ahead. She has the flyers with the information. How you get a hold of that, uh, of the life group leaders, just email them. They ha we have their email on file. Email them, let them know, hey, I'm interested in being a part of your group. All we have on those flyers is the time, so make sure you get in contact with them. And they'll let you know as far as location and, and things of that sort. Amen? Well, let's jump in. I wish I was preaching a sermon series called The Mighty Minions, um, but, but, but I am not. Uh, but so proud of not just our location, but our region of young people who, man, I could imagine that must have been fun, sweaty, stinky competitions out in the campgrounds, but they bring home the flag. So praise God. Um, yeah, G give them a round of applause. I know they were very proud of that. You know, not, we're all one church, right? We've been focusing on that series, one church, so not, we're, not, we're not causing any division here. But I know at least my kids were like, we've got to go to this retreat and beat Midway, you know? Midway's like the Darth Vader, you know? Uh, so powerful, but powerful, great people all around. Anyways, let's get to today's message. We are continuing our sermon series uh, that is titled Discipleship 101. One of the things that really bring this series, us pastors and uh, pastor, our lead pastor Josiah kind of read this uh, survey. I've mentioned it to you that 47% of people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ said they don't share Christ or they don't make disciples simply because they don't know how to. And that's a very large number, percentage, for people, followers of Jesus Christ, to not know how to make a disciple when we have been commanded by Jesus Christ himself. Not the pastor, not the elders, the worship team, no. But each and every one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, because that's what, what, what naming yourself Christian means. You are a Christ follower. He commissioned us to go out. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, teaching the people what Jesus taught us, and to teach them to obey. So that's a, that's a commission that each and every single one of you guys here have. You say, well, what's my purpose? No, my purpose is not to share Jesus Christ. Well, that's false. It is. And so what we've been trying to do is just we're just going through what discipleship looks like. And, and, and instead of really going by, uh, well, this is how you do it, what we're doing is we're taking an approach of what it looks like for yourself. Because you can't disciple someone if you aren't discipled yourself. You can't teach or expect someone to do something that you aren't doing yourself. When we talk about being a follower of Jesus Christ, when we talk about being a disciple, we're trying to obtain a vision of life that doesn't just flow out of our own vision, of our own control, as Anthony mentioned today, out of our own success, but instead one that is in sync with who Jesus Christ calls us to be. As followers of Christ, we have to have a vision for our life, and that vision has to be what Christ calls us to be. Dallas Willard, uh, he defines discipleship like this. I'm going to read it. It's a quote. It says that discipleship is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. You, caught, you catch that? 
A disciple is a person who has decided that the most important, everybody say most important, thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. He ends the quote by saying, a disciple is not a person who has things under control or knows a lot of things. Disciples are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. Last week as we began the series, we looked at the what. What we must do to live a life for Jesus. Remember the young ruler comes to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? But this week, I want us to shift our, our focus. We're going to be looking at not the what, but we're going to be focused on the cost. The cost is a very, very important. What does it cost? I don't know about you. I can't pinpoint one specific time, but I know many times and many occasions I've been somewhere and I'm maybe looking at an item or looking at something and I'm like, oh, man, this is real good. Maybe there's someone that's trying to sell stuff comes out and starts talking. Oh, yeah, this is beautiful. It's made by this and this and that. And the first thing that's popped into my mind once a salesperson comes my way is, what's the cost? How much is it going to really cost? And sometimes in my mind, I say, well, maybe if it's not too much, uh, you know, I, I might consider it. And then they give me that big dollar sign. So, okay, thank you. Put it back down and walk away. Because we all have a price, right? Well, that's the question that we ask when someone is, like I said, trying to sell us something. It's the question that we ask because we want to know what the deal is. We want to know the value. We want to know what is it worth. In our passage today, Jesus looks at his disciples. And in this conversation that he has with his disciples, he speaks to them in a very clear, plain, specific way. You know what he says to them? We're going to read it. But he says to them, to follow me is going to cost your life. If you have your Bibles, open them up with me to the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 27. To follow me, he tells his disciples. You know, I can imagine, you can just imagine yourself, you're in the store, right? You're the disciples, and hey, what's the cost to follow you? And Jesus answers, it's going to cost you life. Now, how many of us, when we hear that response, say, yeah, let me put it right down. And let me walk out. The cost of discipleship, it can feel to us like a limitation to our lives. Have you ever felt that way? When you really start to understand the call of Jesus and, and the prices to be paid, maybe at one point you thought to yourself, man, this, put a, this puts a lot of limitations on what I can do. We live in a culture that tells us gain more so that we can be more. The more that we have, the more that we're worth, the more that we own, the, the better we are. We desire endless boundaries and yearn for limitless abilities. Yet Jesus tells us what discipleship truly costs us. And the harsh, the harsh truth that we have to really confront is that we need to see the gospel as a threat to our limited lives when we don't really know who Jesus is. Discipleship with Jesus isn't one of conforming our lives in limits or conforming it in any type of boundaries. It's one of innovation to discover a new life that is so much greater and so much more fuller than our pursuit of whatever it is that we think life truly is. And so today we're going to look at the cost. 
because I want you to ask, what is it that you value most in your life? Right now, right before we get into this passage, right before we get into Mark chapter 8, 27, think about that right now. What is it that you value most in your life at this moment, during this season? In the book of Mark chapter 8, verse 27, it's following the story in which Jesus went on ahead and he healed a man in which was blind, restoring a vision for that man's life. But as the passage goes on ahead and, and transitions, we see that it says that Jesus goes on ahead and he takes his disciples to a different area. And as our passage begins, we see that it starts with a confession. Jesus asks, who am I to you? Verse 27, this is what it says. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? I'll stop right there. Every time I've seen or read things like this, I, I stop and pause and I think to myself, man, if Jesus asked me, like, like instantly, who do you say I am, what, might, what would my response be? You see, for me, maybe it's different because I know, right, I've read the word. But imagine, put yourself in the, in the place of these disciples that are doing life with Jesus right then and there. Who am I to you? Who do you say that I am? And they told him. John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. You see, our passage, like last week, it began with the question. It's time now for, or, or this time, the, the question is not being asked to Jesus, but Jesus is the one asking the question. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And listen, church, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as people who are to go out and make disciples, listen, don't try making no disciple unless you can answer that question for yourself. It's a question that flows from gauging the identity of Jesus in the eyes of others. Yet Jesus is asking in a way to begin to prompt his disciples to reflect on who it is that he is. The disciples, they go on ahead and, and say, some say John the Baptist. Well, you know, why, why is it that they were saying, people are saying that? Because John the Baptist had recently been beheaded. Others say Elijah. He was the one who was promised to return. Others say one of the prophets. But none of these is the right answer. So Jesus goes on ahead and he prompts this question because if you're going to follow after him, you have to know the answer to this question. Who is he? And I urge you that if, if you have a hard time answering that question or or maybe your, your question is just very, hey, he's, the, he, he, he's my savior. You know, I, I challenge you to, to, when you pray, when you speak to God, say, God, can you reveal, continue to reveal yourself to me because I want to know you, not just from the outside, but from the inside. You see, because it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I know that person. In reality, you only had a couple conversations with them versus someone that you've done life with and you can say, I know. And if I say, hey, who is he? You can give me great detail on who he is because you've done life with him. Jesus moves from this question of others' visions of him to a personal question to his disciples. So he says that, right? Who is it that people say I am? And then once the disciples give him the answers, Jesus now 
uh, changes it to more personal, and he says, but who do you say that I am? See, what you're telling me, you're giving me answers of people that are kind of seeing me, that are watching me from the outside, but you guys who are in my inner circle, who are doing life with me, who, who, who are, are healing people, who are listening to my teachings, who do you say that I am? I would hope that you would get the most honest answer from those that are around you most. Jesus zooms in on this personal, on this personal question now because if, if you're going to let go of everything else, you have to hold on clearly to who Jesus is in your life. If you're going to say no more to, to things in your life that have dominated your mind, if you're going to say no more to maybe a certain, certain habits, if you're going to say no to certain old, you know, uh, disciplines that you had and put in new disciplines that are, are, are geared toward, towards being who Christ has called you to be, then you have to have a clear image of who Jesus Christ in your life, who, who he is in your life. It's with this question that this interaction with, between his disciples becomes very personal. It's a question about identity, acts, and relationships. Whatever the answer will be, will begin to reveal how the disciples view Jesus in relationship. And it's a delicate question to ask. Where do you stand? These type of questions asked in a relationship demand an answer of clarification. And so Jesus turns to his disciples in relationship and says, who am I to you? Who is it that you say that I am? Do you know who Jesus is, church? Do you know who he is? To you in a personal level, not what you've heard someone say, not what your parents have taught you. Do you know who he is in your life? Because that's the question. This is a personal question that we must ask ourselves about Jesus. Who is he to you? And as I read that question, I wonder when Jesus asked that question to the disciples, how, how long was there, was there a gap of silence in between? A question like that, you know that if you answer wrong, could start to create an awkward gap in the relationship. In verse 29, of course, Peter is the first one to say something. He goes on ahead and he says, you are the Christ. You see, because Jesus is hearing what other people are talking about or, or what are they calling him. And he says, I want to know who you, my dear brothers, who am I to you? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. You see, so this is a confession by Peter, a confession by Peter. This isn't some Sunday school answer that everyone knew. This confession by Peter is the first time, the first time in the Bible that Jesus is confessed as Christ in the Gospels. Why does this answer mean so much? Because Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Some of you guys say, really? Man, <laughs> I thought it was Jesus Christ this whole time. Christ means king. That's why I like sometimes instead of saying Jesus Christ, I like saying Jesus the Christ. Christ means king. It means anointed one. When he say, you are Jesus, you are Jesus the king, you are Jesus the anointed one. You see the difference between that answer and the answers from the people looking from the outside in. More clearly, Christ means set apart. You are Jesus, the one who has been set apart. Wow, that's 
impactful right now. Peter's saying that Jesus is the one who was the promised one to come. The coming king, the anointed one, the one who was set apart by God to bring God's kingdom to everyone in which was lost. And the most amazing thing about this answer is that Peter speaks it not out of guessing, but he confesses this answer out of deep experience of being with Jesus. Church, why is it that Peter is able to say that? Because he is spending time with Jesus. If you ain't spending time with Jesus, Jesus is not your king. If if you're not spending time with Jesus, he's not the anointed one. He's not the one who has been set apart. He can say that because he's doing life with Jesus. And church, if we're going to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be disciples who make disciples that make disciples, we've got to know who Jesus is, and we have to be able, and we know that clearly by spending time with him. Spend, you know, I, sometimes I can sound like a broken record up here saying that we say the same thing every time because that is what it is. And if everybody got that simple instruction, boy, will life be different. Eugene Peterson, he writes this. He says, the words were not spoken out of the blue. There were three years of relapse. This is talking about the relationship between Jesus and the disciples. There were three years of relapse, intimate conversation, eating together, getting to know one another's stories. Peter has experienced Jesus from walking, talking, healing, teaching. And from his experience, he confesses Jesus' lordship. You are the Christ. He says it because he's seen it, he has experienced it, he has lived that Jesus was the king. This this text prompts us to ask, and I ask you today as your pastor, have you experienced this confession in your life? Because the reality is sometimes we can walk around and we can say that, yeah, Jesus is the king, but man, sometimes, and maybe this has happened to you, in your most intimate season that you have had with Jesus where you've been praying, where you've had, you're, you've had powerful devotions, you're reading his word, maybe maybe he's answered a petition, maybe, maybe life was just plain old nasty to you, but yet you were hanging on to Jesus, and it's during those seasons sometimes where you say, man, Jesus, you are the Christ. Why? Because you're seeing it. You're experiencing it. You're breathing it. You're living it. Have you had interactions with God's word, church? Seeing Jesus walk, talk, heal, and teach. Have you experienced who it is that he is? So that confessing him as Lord flows just out of your mouth. Jesus, you are good. Jesus, you are great. You are my comforter. You are my provider. You sustain me. You guide me with your right hand. The temptation that we face in this age is to continually live confessing who we are in a way that is bound solely in our desire, solely in our abilities, in our vision of control. But the danger with that church is that when you peel away all of these declarations underneath, we can discover that we are really just serving ourselves. You stop spending time with Jesus, you get out of that inner circle with Jesus. And listen, that inner circle is not just 12 that we see in the Bible. Man, you, you're invited into that inner circle if you want. 
Tim Keller writes this. He says, if your God, listen to this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. A confession of Jesus Christ is a confession that you aren't Jesus Christ. A confession of Jesus Christ being the Christ means you are not the Christ. You are not the anointed one. You haven't been set apart. A confession of Jesus as Savior is about humbly letting go of the control that you have in your life. The text begins with a confession of who Jesus is because if we don't know who he really is, we won't be willing to risk the cost of following him. These disciples who said, man, I'm going to follow you to the end, they knew. They knew the cost. They knew that it was going to cost their life. Think about the early church who's going out and they're, 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 they're having services. They're having revivals all over the place while people are searching for them to kill them. Yet they're continuing. They're, they're willing to take the risk. Why? Because they knew who it was that they were following. You're not going to risk your life for just anybody. You're not going to risk your life for just anything. You're not going to give things up just because someone tells you to give it up. You do that when you know that what you're giving it up for is worth it. And you only know that that it's worth it when you spend time with him. Because, oh, boy, will he show you that he is worth it. I'm sure there are plenty of you guys, if you believe Jesus Christ and follow him is worth it, let me hear an amen. Praise God. First, we're invited to experience Jesus and let the confession of him as Christ in our life, in our word, just go, go, just flow out of our lips. The second, we can find the challenge, and that is, what is your mindset on? What is your mindset on? In verse 31, this is what it says. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. As the confession of Jesus as Christ flows from the lips of Peter, Jesus now begins to teach his disciples about what it is that that means. He says, okay, all right, good. I, I, I believe that Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples were in the right state of mind. And when he says, who is it that you say that I am? And they say, you are Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the king. You are the anointed one. Now Jesus goes on ahead and says, now let me tell you exactly what that means. What's going to happen? The disciples, listen, they, they grew up hearing. The people there, they grew up hearing of the promises of the one that who, who, uh, who was to come. When they would grow up and listen about who the Messiah was, they, they thought this coming Savior that was coming, they had formed in each of their minds that this vision that when this Messiah came, this Messiah was going to be someone that was going to be conquering, someone that was going to be uh, leading the charge to restore uh, the Israelite kingdom, they're like, man, they're excited. This is Jesus, man. We're going to take over this place right now. A coming conqueror, but, but Jesus doesn't present a vision of conquest, right? Is that what Jesus told them right before? They said, okay, well, since I'm the king, this is what's going to happen. Like, like we're going to take over. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna restore the kingdom, and we're going to make everybody who's done ill towards us bow down on their knees. That's not what Jesus says. If you know the Bible, that comes later on. But right now, Jesus presents 
not a vision of concrete. Jesus says, listen, you're right. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. But he says, I'm going to come. He says, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed is what Jesus says. Now, this is not a vision of the Messiah that his disciples had in mind. Could you imagine what they're thinking right now? As he's saying this, their, 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 their minds are probably going all over the place. The Bible says he spoke this plainly, meaning that he spoke clearly and simply so that they could understand exactly what it was. He wasn't speaking in any parables at this point. Clearly and plainly. Jesus is saying, listen, suffering is, is, is necessary. The disciples had a vision of the Messiah that they held on to, and now Peter confesses this. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the king. And Jesus goes on ahead and affirms it. But they hear these words and they're left asking, what's the catch? What, what does that mean? The disciples have just conformed that or confirmed that Jesus is the Christ. But this is, this is the, the what's the catch moment here. Jesus says, yes, that's right. You're my disciples. I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. And Jesus says, I am the Christ, but I will be killed. Jesus is, what he's doing is he's spelling out a full vision right here of what it means to be or what it means for him to be Christ. But see, as, as Jesus is saying that, as soon as he's saying that, Peter kind of, he can't handle that. Peter can't accept that because, remember, in their mind, the Messiah was this conqueror. In verse 32, we see what happens. It says, and Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him. Peter, I, I just, man, I, I wish I was a fly, you know, and to actually see this happen. But, G, uh, you know, Jesus is explaining that, you know, yes, I am the Messiah, and I can imagine the, the disciples like, yeah, man, yeah. And then, but I'm going to be killed. I'm going to suffer all this stuff. And they're like, okay, hold on. my mind, I'm like, Peter, Peter was like, Jesus, I rebuke you in your name. <laughs> Jesus says, I must suffer. And Peter again instantly responds, no. Peter can't let go of his preformed vision of what the Christ will do. And when he hears Jesus reveal a path of suffering, he rejects it. He rejects it and says, no, that can't be this. this. This can't be it. We've been waiting for this so long. This can't be it. And in verse 33, it says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> this is exciting me. <laughs> this is exciting me because Jesus right there, he, he Whenever we think that God is wrong, whenever we think that God maybe has made a mistake, whenever we say, God, but why? I don't understand what Jesus tells us, my son, my daughter, I love you, but your mind is not fixed on me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, is what Jesus is saying. You can't see it because you don't want to receive it. Because you're not fixing your eyes on me. You're not fixing your eyes, your mind on the things of God. It is very hard to make sense of this crazy world when we're not fixing our minds on the things of God. It's hard. It's difficult. 
doesn't make sense. And that's why so many of us, we choose routes that satisfy our desires instead of what satisfies God. Because our mind is not in the right place. Very hard to keep your mind in the right place when you're not sticking your nose into that good spot. Very hard to keep your eyes on the, and your mind on the things of God if you're not spending time with God. Sometimes you say, man, Pastor, I just feel like, though, I have, man, I have to really be in his word or praying or whatever the case is because it just a couple days without it, man, and I just get, you know, washed up by, by the waves of this world. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man is what Jesus says. It doesn't make sense to you because you're focused on, on what you see with your eyes, on what is it that you truly want me to be to satisfy your, you and all these people right now at this moment and not what the bigger picture is. And Peter moves from blessing to rebuke. The amazing thing about this is that Peter is believed to be the main source of Mark's gospel. So we know that he's the one that probably told this story to Mark, including these Specific little details. I can just imagine. I can imagine uh, Peter just telling Mark, "Yeah, you know what?" And then I took him to the side and I told him, "I rebuke you." And I believe that those details are given to Mark, the author of this book, because Peter knew he was wrong. When we try to control who Jesus is in our life, church, listen up to this: we miss out on accepting Him for us. We set our mind on things of man instead of things of God. We often will minimize our vision of a Savior by boiling it down to the thing that we want most today. I want a Savior. Some of us say, I want a Savior that forgives. Some of us, I, I want a Savior that gives. I want a Savior that punishes others. I want a Savior that secures. I want a sa Savior that blesses me. I want a Savior that everything that I ask for from God, God gives to me. I want a Savior that, that goes on ahead and, and makes me feel good even when I'm not doing things that I shouldn't be doing. When we typecast who we want Jesus to be, we miss out on who Jesus really is. It's not a guessing game, church. You don't have to guess who Jesus is. He reveals himself fully for those who want him to be revealed. We are looking for a minimized Savior so many times and missing the one who is abundantly better than all of those things that we could possibly want. Eugene Peterson, he writes this. He says, we have our own ideas of what we want God to be like. We keep looking around for a kind of religion or style of spirituality that gives us some promise that we can be God-like, be in control of our lives and in the lives of others exercise God-like authority, or at least be authorities uh, of God. Jesus says no. He rebukes Peter to help him see that, Peter, you're missing out. You're missing out because you've got your eyes on the things of man and not on the things of God. You're missing out on the real vision of life that flows from the kingdom of Jesus. And the challenge, church, that we begin to discover that Jesus will fully reveal here is that if we have our mind set, if we have our mind fixed on Jesus Christ, we are setting our mind on personal suffering. But this suffering isn't permanent. In fact, our mind on Christ leads 
to something that is far greater than we want to hold on to today. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, and Anthony said this, and you hear me say it at the end of our, my prayers. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Knowing Christ, church, it surpasses all understanding. And the challenge is asking, the challenge is asking, is Jesus Lord of your life or is he just an add-on option? Confession of Jesus leads to the challenge of what you are setting on your mind. So lastly, we find the cost. What's the cost? You lose your life in order to save it. Verse 34, and calling the crowd to him. So here's Jesus, and he's having this conversation with the disciples. Who do you say I am? And all this stuff takes place. Okay, I am the Christ, but I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. All these things. He wants them to understand who he is. He wants them to know. He wants them to, 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 to get, feel the, the, the weight of what being a disciple is going to look, what it looks like, what it needs to be. And then he's got something else to say, and he turns and he, he calls to the crowd. So now no longer is it to the 12, but it's all those who were around him. He says, calling to the crowd, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, that whole, you know, we, we say that sometimes. Yeah, you remember when Jesus said this? This is, this is where it comes from. This is the full context of the story. And this is a major turn in the book of Mark because Jesus is inviting the, the, the disciples into the long haul, into the path to the cross. And what I love about Jesus, man, he's not no, no sleazy salesman that kind of says, okay, this is all, and then when you're going to get ready to sign on the dotted line for that vehicle, there's like 10 other add-ons that you didn't know were on there, and all of a sudden now you got to pay $10,000 more. Jesus, there's no surprises. There's no tricks, but full vision. Don't say, man, I didn't know it was going to cost me this much to follow Jesus Christ. I didn't know it was going to cost me relationships, jobs, whatever the case is. Don't say you didn't know that because Jesus didn't hide that. He says it in plain and simple. That's what I love about Jesus. He says, if you're going to follow me, this is what you're going to do. And it doesn't get any stronger than you have to die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He does this by saying the discipleship costs. It costs. James Edward writes this. He says, a wrong view of messiahship leads to a wrong view of discipleship. That's why we're talking about this. Because if you don't really understand the cost of what being a disciple is, what it looks like, then you're going to have the wrong view of what being a disciple and what it looks like is. And you're going to go on ahead and spread that to someone else. And instead of making the disciples who make disciples, you're making a mess that makes messes. What is Jesus' view of discipleship? Well, it's a hard vision. It is. Jesus says, if you are to come after me, listen, my son, my daughter, this is Jesus, what he's saying. He says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's why... We see a lot of people stop following Jesus because they, they, weren't, they weren't able to do that. We saw a one-on-one last week, right, with the rich young ruler. I can't do that. I can't give this up. 
Jesus, you can touch anything else, but you can't touch that. I can't give that up. Learning to live as a disciple is a process of learning how to live in self-denial. It's a word that is so countercultural today, church, to the moment in which we are living in today, in a time where we are empowered to live as we want, to say what we want, to love what we want. Jesus invites us into a life of learning to deny ourselves. In other words, step one is deny yourself. You know why? Because when you deny yourself, you kind of take all the baggage, all the curtains, all the the shades of whatever is upon you, you just throw it away, and at that point and at that point only are you now able to begin to grow, to have this new life with new mindset, new disciplines, new perspectives. Why does Jesus ask us to deny ourselves? Because it's a path that leads us away from living self-centered and into a way of life that is Christ-centered. I want to be careful not to glorify this passage, and I've told you guys many times before, in a way to say that to live miserable lives, that's what being a disciple is. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what Jesus is portraying here. So if that was in your mind, everyone go, whew. The path of denial, someone was like, I'm ready to get, get, get the chalk set. What is it, the sackcloth when I get home and, and throw it out here? The path of denial is one of letting go, church, because you entrust that God's vision of life speaks to our purpose in a greater way than anything physical can. <laughs> kind of like what Anthony was talking about a little bit today. It's, it's the letting go and trusting God. Discipleship is a process of letting go. You want to be a disciple? Get ready to begin to let things go. Because you are discovering a greater value in who Jesus is. Verse 37, this is what it says. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and, for, and for, forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? See, it's not about living miserable, church. It's about discovering real life. Discipleship is about is discovering a purpose for the soul that doesn't fade in the most recent fad. That expi- that has expiration dates with cultural swings, but, but remains in who Jesus is and who Jesus has called you to be. You know, I, I found this because I, I liked last week how the, the message. Remember, the, transla- the Bible translation named the message. Let me read it to you in this version because it's just, you know, I'm not saying it's the Bible for dummies. Please, if you've got that version, no. But what it does is it helps you just understand it a little bit more. Can I share that with you? This is what it says. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. Listen, and, and as I'm reading this, Man, just envision Jesus Christ talking to you right now, please. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. But when suffering comes, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. 
my ways for saving yourself, your true self. What good would it be to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? I love it. And that's the key, church. It's all about discovering the real you in Christ. Some of you, you don't know the real you. When I say the real you, is who Christ designed you to be when you were woven together in the womb of your mother. He had a purpose for you, divine purpose. Would you let me introduce you to yourself this morning? Because Jesus wants to show you. The image of yourself to Jesus, it is completely different than maybe you may have of yourself. You may say, man, I'm filthy. I'm dirty. I'm, you know, and Jesus says, no, you're not. I'm not capable of this. Jesus says, yes, you are. Oh, I'm afraid to speak. No, you've been called to speak. He wants to show you the real you. And on the surface level, it may feel like a loss at times, a call to denial, to take up your cross, a path of suffering. But church, the value of life in Christ is worth so much more. When we evaluate our lives in the present Based upon what our culture deems as value, we are measuring our souls using the wrong measurement. Jesus clearly says, lose your life to save it. Don't forfeit your soul. If you hold on to control in the present, it will feel stable today. But when it falls apart tomorrow, you'll wish your soul had more value than what you have. What your job title is. How big your house is. Lose your life, Jesus says, to save it. As we conclude, C.S. Lewis, he writes this. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. In that sense, our real selves are all waiting for us in him. It is no good trying to be myself without him. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own hereditary and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. It is when I turn to Christ that I finally begin to have a real personality of mine. When I turn to Christ is when I have, I get to see my true personality. My true self. Let yourself be revealed for who you are in Jesus Christ, church. Find your, 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 your real self in holding fast to the confession of Jesus as Christ. And then Jesus ends it with this hard and challenging word in verse 38. And this is one that is very powerful. If you look at it, man, this is just a powerful part in the gospel. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. Are you ashamed of Jesus? In our day and age following Jesus, it's going to cost you, church. It's going to cost you. Some of you guys, you know it has. It's cost you relationships. 
to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to die to yourself, is going to cost you gain. It's going to cost you maybe access to certain things. You might not get that, that position you wanted because they said, man, we don't need one of these Jesus lovers being, you know, in this position. It's going to cost you the powerful things that your body desires. It calls out to you. But church, it's worth it. It's worth it. Maybe this job you lost, it's worth it. The relationships that you had that you thought you would have to the day you died and you lost because, because of the cost that comes with being a disciple of Jesus, listen, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because when you stand before the throne and Jesus says, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? You're not going to be able to call those people that you lost in the relationship. They're not going to answer for you. Your job's not going to answer for you. The issues that you've battled with, the desires of your flesh, they're not going to answer for you. It's going to be you. You're going to be held accountable for your own actions. And so I say, it's okay that you lost those things. It's okay. It's worth it because it's what leads to life. It's, it's what leads to real life. Paul declares this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. My invitation for you today, church, is to respond to the call of Jesus with your life. Today, that might mean first responding in confession for who Jesus is. Maybe you, maybe you got to start from the very beginning. Jesus, this is who you are. I'm sorry for me making myself the Christ of my life. Jesus, today I confess you to be the Christ of my life. I'm going to ask that you stand. In a second, we're going to close our eyes and, and then we're going to have the team go on ahead and just sing something here. But can you do that? Just close your eyes right where you're at and, and just for some of you, that's who you, who, what, what you have to do. Confess Jesus for who he is in you. And if you can't clearly answer that, pray and ask, ask him, Lord, will you begin to reveal yourself to me? But listen, he's only going to do that if you're, if you're looking for that. For some of you, it might be counting the cost and truly trusting him through self-denial. You need to think, what is it? What is it that I got to let go of? What is it that, 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 that I have to let go of so that I can stop focusing my time and energy in that and focusing my, my time and energy in knowing who Christ really is? Whatever it is, whatever it is, church, again, I tell you, it is worth it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, as you're thinking through that and praying through that, it says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For those sake, I have lost all things. These are the words of someone who decided to die to himself. He says, I consider those things garbage. 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Close your eyes, church. We worship one last time and begin to speak to the Lord, whether a confession or counting the cost of what it is that you need to say. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart.